What's up, everybody? This is Grant at Cause Artist. Today, we are chatting with Jesse Gold, the founder of Heroic Hearts Project. And usually we talk to businesses on this podcast, but I thought this was a really interesting nonprofit. And uh, Jesse comes from a business background and how he started this nonprofit is um, is really interesting. And I think it's a story that everybody should hear and everybody should think about. So the Heroics Heart Project is a, a nonprofit that connects military veterans struggling with mental trauma uh, to ayahuasca therapy retreats. Um, so these veterans um, are able to go to these group sessions um, in Peru or Costa Rica and really engage with this plant medicine and try to help them deal with their PTSD, you know, maybe some emotional issues that they're going through. And usually this is soldiers that have been through every type of medical either procedure or prescription given to them by the Department of Veteran Affairs or the doctors they go see. Um, after that, trying, they were just trying everything in the book, right? And nothing has worked. And in some cases, these traditional routes of, of therapy and medicine have made them even worse. So for a lot of these veterans, this is a last effort um, to really try to stabilize their mental state. So I thought it was important to, to talk to Jesse about his own journey in, in dealing with uh, depression um, and mental instability after after his service, his time in service. We talk a little bit about his journey, um, how he experienced ayahuasca and what it did for him when he went to uh, Peru and discovered this, this medicine and really had a positive life-changing experience with it. And that inspired him to start his nonprofit um, that helps other soldiers dealing with these mental issues. So I thought it was a really important topic that we talked about and really get it at top of people's minds on um, how we can help veterans. I mean, I think that's one thing, whatever aisle you're, side of the aisle you're on, um, you can agree that veterans should be a, a top priority list, especially for just being able to take care of them, right? To be able just to live a normal life without committing suicide and without going through these mental trepidations every single day. So there is some, some legislation out there um, around plant medicine. Um, so we talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but it's a, it's a different conversation that I hope you guys can, can open your minds about and, and, and really take it in and, and maybe educate. I got tons of education material from this. I learned a ton, so I hope you learn a ton as well. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. But the first thing that, that I usually like to start with is that um, your journey to, to get to the point where you want to start a project that more or less you sort of dedicate your life to, right? That's a big decision in, in anybody's life. So let's start maybe in 2009 after you graduated from Cornell, uh, degree in economics. That usually doesn't take you on a path to <laughs> to sort of start a nonprofit, you know, for veterans um, using ayahuasca as therapy. So can you just try to take us along sort of that, that decade or so journey after uh, graduation? Yeah, of course. Um, so like like you mentioned, I graduated from Cornell University 2009, uh, degree in economics. Um, I went straight into investment banking. Uh, so I was working at a small boutique investment bank in New York City. And it was definitely a weird time uh, right before uh, everybody was going into banking, trading, all this other kind of stuff. And then obviously mm-hmm. 2008, 2009, there's a big financial crisis. And so, you know, a lot of my graduating class was in this weird sort of limbo where that parents that were laid off, they didn't know if they still had jobs. Uh, they didn't, you know, those, the market was flooded with people who wanted to go into finance and all of a sudden there's fewer jobs and nothing was really mm-hmm. moving. 
but I was still in it. And, you know, I really, I really liked the world. I really liked how money moved through things. And we were doing capital raising for very small micro cap uh, companies. But at the same time, I just felt there was just something unfulfilled. I thought college would fill that up. You know, I, I had that expectation of coming out of college, you know, insightful and above, but instead I had just memorized some facts. And I really didn't feel much more like an adult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in New York during this time, it was really that, that that juxtaposition of this money world versus this doing good. And, you know, it was just a very confusing time. And I had always had the, the notion that I wanted to join the military. I just didn't know what the timing would be and if I would actually go through with it. And so just all the elements, you know, kind of came into place where there's something I was needing. I just had that intuition, that gut feeling that, you know, this is possibly the next path that I needed to to become who I was, that coming of age ceremony that we don't really have in society anymore. And, you know, just how how much of a mess Wall Street was, it was like, okay, well, I don't think I'm really missing that much here for, right. for the time being. Right. So, you know, I decided to to join. Um, I, I enlisted uh, in 2010. I went to basic training and went straight through to ranger selection, which was extremely difficult. But I, I got through that. I was based in Savannah, Georgia at 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. And uh, so I was in I was in the military for about four and a half years. I did uh, three combat uh, deployments to Afghanistan. The things that I was seeking to get out and to understand about myself, I, I got it all, fortunately. Um, mm-hmm. It was very the good hard. And the bad, huh? There was the good and the bad, but overall, it was just a very great experience. You know, it really developed me in a physical, mental way that I don't think anything else would have been able to. So during that time, was there anything specific that that you went through or, or, or some of your some of your friends went through that headed you down the way of starting a nonprofit after you sort of got out? Was that something you were planning while you were there or, or when you got out, you started maybe to develop some symptoms and, and maybe some things were wrong with you internally and you saw, saw seek out traditional therapy um, and then you decided to, to kind of start the nonprofit. Talk a little bit about that part. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was, it was more of the latter side. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're in, especially Ranger, it's just such high pace that you don't really notice anything else. You know, you you work hard, you drink a lot, you party hard, uh, but you're just constantly going at a hundred percent. You know, just the adrenaline kind of, is just pushing yeah. you every day to day, huh? Exactly. And so they're like, even if you are symptomatic there, there's just no way because you're just constantly go go go. Anyway, so you know, I, I got out and I had all intention of you know, still using my finance degree, my economics mm-hmm. degree before it's too late. Uh, I traveled around a little bit. I was in Asia for a little bit, seeing if I could start a business or seeing what was out there and just, you know, relishing my my newfound freedom. Uh, I got back to Florida, ended up going into corporate finance. And at this time, you know, some of the things that had I had been ignoring in myself were starting to really show themselves. So, you know, just in terms of the self-medication through drinking, mm-hmm. um, just other aspects of my life that, you know, just unhealthy lifestyle that really became more prominent as I like settled down in Tampa, Florida, like in this corporate job, you know, it, it, right. it was easy to kind of ignore when I was traveling. Uh, just because that's kind of the way of life. But when I was in Tampa and actually starting a new life, it, it really almost became untenable. So I went to this corporate finance job. And at first, it kept me entertained. But uh, it just I just instantly realized that it wasn't for me. And I was just going, getting more depressed, more anxious in the job. I just wasn't challenged. I wasn't 
you know, it wasn't stimulating. It wasn't, there wasn't a purpose there. You know, the better I did, the, it didn't change the world at all, or it didn't have any effect other than the bottom line of the, this big international company. And so I had the same symptoms as a lot of people getting out of the military. We have this sort of view of PTSD and the problems that soldiers have. And it's, it's a very Hollywood based version of the Mm -hmm. guy freaking out in the milk aisle at the store or waking up. And, you know, and there are those cases, but a lot of vets just get out and one, they just instantly lose this purpose. They instantly lose this very strong brotherhood. They're isolated. And then there's these much more subtle effects that science is only really now coming to terms with. You know, PTSD, especially the way they rate it, is mostly related to specific traumas. You know, like I said, that Hollywood version of having a buddy die in your hands or seeing, you know, some really messed up stuff. But those aren't the majority of cases. Uh, what they're finding out now is actually a lot of the symptoms are actually related to traumatic brain injury, you know, just constant exposure to explosions, to concussive right. force. I was a mortarman in the Rangers. And so we were just constantly shocking our brain. It was almost like, you know, micro concussions on a daily basis. A bit similar like to C- what, CTE, yeah, huh? Exactly. Similar to what the NFL is going through. And they're just now discovering, like, even if even if it's a small hit, if it doesn't have time mm-hmm, to heal right. down the line, especially when you get into your 40s, 50s, it affects the hormone production in your brain. It causes a lot of depression. There's a high rate of suicide. And so you're seeing that in the military of these combinations of these of these different aspects, which makes the PTSD symptom much more complicated than people lead you to believe, especially those diagnosing it at the veteran affairs. Because like I said, it's this lack of connection, this lack of purpose, probably physical damage to your brain, sometimes the trauma, there's a whole net of things that are coming into effect. And so I found myself in that same boat of a lot of veterans where I was like, oh, I don't have this. I didn't, I was fortunate that there wasn't anything too traumatic in my, my deployments. You know, I, I generally came out unscathed, but I was still, it was almost like I had this rock on me that was just holding me back and I couldn't explain it. And I just thought it was something within me because there, you know, not once when I was leaving the military, did anybody mention brain injury, even though I was like this mortar and constantly <laughs> shooting right, these, right. these, these huge, um, explosions out of, you know, so, you know, like, like you mentioned, I was doing this job and on the outside, it was, it was a good job and I was doing well, but on the inside, you know, I was, I was being torn up and I was over, I was drinking too much and just couldn't have like a stable relationship and just, you know, engaging in, in riskier behavior in terms of, you know, just, just searching for adrenaline and, and these are right. other things in life, uh, just because I wasn't being fulfilled. And I went to the the VA, the Veteran Affairs in Tampa, and they essentially told me that if I wasn't willing to go on medication, that they couldn't mm, help me. Right. Um, and you know, it wasn't for me. I, I'm not. Right. I wasn't interested in SSRIs. I, it can help some people, but they also overprescribe them, and they don't fully understand them. And a lot of the SSRIs are actually not more effective than placebo, and do nothing to actually heal what's going on. They just mask it. And so you see a lot of these veterans on these very heavy medications and they're almost like a shell of themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. and that wasn't appealing for me. You know, it was was one of those things of like, all right, well, I'm managing, this sucks, but I'm managing and I don't want to just completely chemically alter my brain for, for this sort of thing. And so I was put in this situation, like a lot of other vets again, where I just was left to figure it out. And my way of figuring out was, you know, self-medicating with, with alcohol. And so I just continued on. And fortunately, 
um, I heard a podcast and it was talking about ayahuasca. Um, and at first I had the sort of knee jerk reaction just because I've never really been interested in any sort of drugs. Mm-hmm. And I had my own stigmas and notions about psychedelics. Sure. You know, I associated it with, you know, sort of this hippie culture, <laughs> yeah. um, escapism kind of thing. And, but it, what I had heard made it seem different. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before and it planted a seed and eventually in this job, things just kind of came to a head where there's just more and more things that was, it was, it was just harder every morning to get the motivation to go to work. And I couldn't live like that. And so I had to make that decision of like, all right, well, something needs to change in my life because what I'm doing right now is not sustainable. So, you know, I, I gave my, my notice and, and worked until I finished some of my projects at work and decided to, you know, take off and, and go to Peru and figure it out with, with this thing that I had heard about on a podcast. And uh, <laughs> so I did research and uh, found a place that looked pretty reputable uh, in the Amazon in Peru and I went there uh, in 2017, early in 2017, and you know went to the retreat. Was surrounded by some very amazing individuals, and just had a extremely profound experience myself. And saw these amazing stories of healing in just a week. Did you go by yourself initially? Yeah. I did. Uh, I went by myself, and I really didn't tell anybody. I obviously, right. they yeah, that's was, yeah. Uh, they knew I was leaving my job, and I, I fortunately I had at that time I had paid off, you know, some debt and had a little bit of traveling money, and so is is really just I don't know what's next for me, but I'm going to use this time to figure it out and just throw myself into the deep end and see what comes up, you know. And so I figured, you know, maybe I can find something over there to start a business or write while I'm doing it or, you know, who knows. But I I just knew what I was doing at that moment needed to change. And so and I because of the nature of ayahuasca, obviously, I didn't want to go there with other people's conceptions to affect my my way of navigating it. So it was pretty much like, hey, I'm going to South America. I'd I'd studied abroad there uh, when I was in, in college. So it wasn't too big of a of a leap, you know. I've traveled a lot as growing up, and so I just kind of told him I was going there to figure it out, and you know, we'll we'll see. And then you know, allowed myself to just have this experience to my own. When you were doing your research on ayahuasca and you know preparing yourself to to do this, what what was it that stood out to you that? you know, made you disassociate all the, maybe the old school, the sort of hippie and escapism type of thing. What made you, what kind of shifted your mind in, in doing your research? Um, so I just, I just read a few sort of things and, you know, we're, we're talking about mushrooms earlier. And I think the thing that didn't appeal to me is when I heard people who are on mushrooms and they're saying these things that they thought were profound, but came across me as very cliched. But for some reason, uh, when I was reading about ayahuasca, one, I think because it still has much more of a ceremony attached and it was used in this indigenous, in these indigenous cultures as like this healing sort of aspect. So it had this like long, rich history. Um, and just the things that people got out of it were different. So there is always that, that profoundness. And I, I saw that in a different light afterwards. But then there's actual like physical healing and people getting over addictions and people getting over these, you know, treatment resistant depression, anxiety. Um, And there's just enough accounts of it to where it intrigued me that there might be something there. And I think also coming from the ranger background, you know, all the accounts were like, this is going to be pretty hard. You know, you're you're facing your own demons in your mind. So that challenge and being in the Amazon appealed to me. Did they prepare you 
for that, like, you know, there's a retreat setting. So there's experts there, so to speak, to kind of sit you down before you go on this journey. And do they explain some of the things that could happen or may happen during it or after it? Was there obviously, was there some type of like session before that really kind of puts you in a great mind state? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the retreat. And that's one of the main things that we are trying to improve with our program. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Heroic Hearts Project is better preparation and figuring out how to talk to different personalities to best prepare them for this experience. Um, So, I mean, the retreat I went to because I had done some research, they did they did it. They did it well. Um, Some you just go there and it's just kind of like throwing you in, which, you know, depending on the personality that can be helpful as well. You know, you don't want to necessarily build up expectations beforehand. Um, But when I went there, you know, it's a very the the center was, you know, deep in the Amazon and a very serene spot. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they kind of go over some of the, the history of it, uh, how it's made you, we did like a, a tobacco ceremony beforehand of our intentions in terms of like intentions being what you want to get out of the experience or what you've seen yourself that you're, you're trying to change. Um, so it, it, it ease you into it, but at the end of the day, especially with ayahuasca, there's no way to completely prepare somebody. It's, it's more right. of having the general framework, but then you have to learn how to navigate it while you're in it. You know, there's nobody that can really hold your hand once you're in it. And, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the, these sort of, uh, journeys and, and sessions that you go on, they aren't just one time, correct? It, it it seems like maybe you do it every other day for like a week or something like that. Is that how these retreats normally work? Yeah. So the retreats in Peru are, are multi-ceremony. There are some places that you'll just do one uh, or two, and it really depends on the intimacy and the person doing it. You can get a lot out of it. But generally, I try to rec- I recommend people at least do go to these retreats that have it done a couple of times. So I generally say try to do at least like three times. And you so you'll go there for generally a week, uh, a week to two weeks. And within that one week, you'll have the opportunity to do it three or four times, depending on the retreat. And so it might seem like a lot, but the reason behind it is one, generally the first ceremony, you know, you're kind of getting out nerves. You're trying to figure out how it works because you ingest it. So ayahuasca is this tea, which at its you know most basic form is just a combination of two uh, Amazonian plants and it's distilled or it's brewed down, brewed down. And then it's this very thick, um, earthy sort of drink that you drink. And by ingesting it, as opposed to if you smoke DMT, by ingesting it, it, it gives you this much longer experience. So you're almost in the DMT world for about four hours. And so because of that, you are navigating it and it can expose you to traumas and, and very accurate reflections of yourself. But all of this kind of takes some sort of intuition of how to navigate it because it can be a lot, you know. And mm-hmm. so oftentimes the first ceremonies might be a little bit overwhelming because there's all this, it's like a new world. You don't know how to, how to, sure. how to operate in it. And so the first or second ceremony might be just kind of one, getting out a lot of the clutter in your head and two, just kind of learning how you interact with this world. But also, you know, a lot of traumas are, are multi-layered or they're deep layered. So especially related to, to veterans and military, a lot of those that have strong, um, 
worse PTSD, it stems all the way from childhood when they're abused or, or they had some issues back then, it makes them more susceptible to issues later on. And from a therapy side, sometimes you have to, you know, go down deeper in the layers. And so you might be able to address some of the stuff that's hitting you immediately, but it might take a few sessions to really get down to the deeper stuff that's actually causing some of the aspects of your life that you're trying to change. So did this did this experience then inspire you to start the Heroic Hearts Project? Is this the catalyst for doing that? Yes. I mean, like I said, when I went there, um, it was a very difficult uh, experience. So I went to war with myself, but, you know, I kind of needed that. And I just came out with a lot. I felt different. And I just saw these amazing stories around me. And, you know, they, they caution you and I caution people now that, you know, you're in this there's this glow after ayahuasca mm-hmm. and you don't want to make major decisions. And so I took that to heart. You know, I, I knew no matter what, I was still affected by something that I, I ingested. And so you have to, you know, be skeptical as much as possible. And so in that time afterwards, I just really tried to integrate and figure out what changes it made in my life and, and to who I was. And I did research. So I saw, you know, I, I looked on like PubMed and some other areas and saw that even though it was not a tremendous amount, there was initial scientific evidence showing that these substances can be very effective for treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, all sorts of other things. There had been precedent of using it for PTSD. And then I also investigated among you know my military buddies of those guys that were still in, and I just told them about this. And I was like, hey, what do you think? And I thought I'd get a much more harsh or critical response from them. But, you know, Mm -hmm. especially special ops guys, they tend to really be, if it works, why not? You know, like if if you're saying this works and you can provide decent evidence to show that, then we're open for it, you know, because a lot of it's pretty clear, especially in the military community, that there is a huge problem that's not being addressed by the government. At our level, even this year, I've already had three people that I served with commit suicide. And, and that's a pretty common thing among among veterans of just knowing a lot of people who took their own lives. And, you know, a lot of people, especially for mental health, won't even go to the VA because they just know right. the lack of help that's that's there or just how toxic some of these medications can be on people's lives. Um, so, I mean, the problem is known and this community tends to really be Hey, if it works, why 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 should I not do it? And that's you're seeing that contention a lot with sort of the marijuana side of it. There's a tremendous amount of ve- veterans that are using marijuana or CBD or or mm-hmm. other cannabinoids for therapy and just to sleep or just to relax or to calm anxiety. But it's still it, it it's still very hard to even research, and the VA can't even prescribe it. They can't help people. Can't give people advice on on marijuana use. And so you see that already at that level of veterans knowing that this is a possible has like tremendous potential in helping but just not having the resources or the support for them to use it in the most effective way when you take veterans to peru on on these retreats do you go on every one with them is is that is that kind of your your job to them is kind of assist them in this journey together or or do they you have a relationship now with the retreat where you know, people can kind of go go on their own, or, or are you kind of there with them as they go through this? Yeah, no, I mean, at, at this point, so with Heroic Hearts Project, we have relationships with the with a few retreats. 
uh, in a few different countries. So Peru, okay. Colombia, Costa Rica, and it's just not feasible for me to go to every one. Sure. Um, we are a nonprofit and it's completely based off of donations. So our ability to send people is if we get donors or we get enough money over time to send groups. So We'll all, I send at a minimum a group of two or three vets. So it's like this battle buddy system to where right. there's a built-in support network. Um, when they're there, it really helps them to have another veteran to speak the same language to them and, and push them through it. You know, it brings them back to sort of the military days. Um, if it's those smaller groups, the, the retreats I work with, I trust them well enough to be able to handle that. And we, through our program, we provide full-on support. So with the veterans, let's say we're doing a small group of, of three vets, we will set them up with a certified integration coach. Uh, so the, they'll have these one-on-one sessions with the coach who will, you know, get them in the right mindset, uh, tell them how to prepare, tell them about the diet going up, just talk to them of like, okay, what issues are you having? What concerns, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. I will talk to them and generally have like a group uh, video chat with everybody, make sure that they're all good, make sure that the paperwork's all online. And then you know, the, like I said, the retreats that we work with, when it's smaller groups, they, they are very comfortable working with, with uh, veterans and working with us through our, our program. And then when the, the vets are finished with the, the retreats, they get back and that same coach will follow up with them. And that's the integration phase where it's, okay, you have all these profound insights and you learned all this or you saw this. What does it mean? How can we improve your life? How can we set you up for success so you don't fall back into old negative patterns? Um, and then, you know, now we, we do weekly video integration chat. So all of our alum, you know, they they have free access to join this video chat with other vets. They can talk about, you know, their struggles, their successes, all that sort of stuff. If it's a bigger group, like we recently just did a, a veteran influencers retreat. Um, so veterans that, you know, ha- tend to have a little bit louder voice in the veteran community, either are part of organizations or just have big social media followings. So we got a group of, of them together just to really broadcast what we're doing and the importance of of this therapy. And so a bigger group like that, then I'll go because it's, it's that opportunity in a bigger group for me to really uh, share, you know, what we're doing and have them help us broadcast it. But then also when you get a lot more veterans, it becomes a little bit harder to handle because there's a lot more strong type A personalities, sometimes more severe trauma. And so for those, I'll be there just because it's, since I can relate to them, it it helps manage the whole, the whole situation, the whole space. What are some of the, I know success is is a tough word, when we're talking about this kind of stuff, but what are some of the positives that you have seen, you know, some of your veterans talk to you about or talk to the groups about after they, they go on a retreat? Do you, do you see a change in them like you saw in yourself? Uh, yeah. I mean, and so fortunately we we've, in terms of financially supported directly, it's, we've, we've sent about 30 vets at this point and, you know, have helped facilitate a couple dozen more just in terms of uh, lesser support. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, in that time, on the low end of the scale, there's been a couple that really just didn't get that much out of it. But there hasn't been any sort of, they are worse off because of it. So I mean, that's a good baseline to have. On the high end, it's life changing. It's, you know, save their life, complete transformation. They are a new person, or they're able to live their life to the fullest. Now, we've had a few people that 
um, were on medication before. Obviously, for ayahuasca, you have to be off medication for a certain mm-hmm. period of time beforehand because it can interact negatively. But we worked sure. with them, and but they a lot of the, um, the people who are on like SSRIs have stayed off of of the medication afterwards, which again is a victory. Just this last retreat, that veteran influencers retreat, there was three of them that just after the first ceremony in their in their in their lives had some sort of suicidal ideation. So they had thought in the past about suicide or had been on their mind or maybe even been close to it. After that first ceremony, each one came up and just said like how they just saw that as a completely ridiculous option and that it wasn't even on their mind anymore. And and there's no way they could even possibly see that as a possibility. So, I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing to experience firsthand. And, you know, the question is, does it last? And it it really, and that's the whole point of the integration phase. Um, For most most of these people that have profound experiences, there's at least some level of it lasting. You know, the the vast majority of people uh, are better off. Sometimes we fall back into our old grooves and sometimes the negative patterns. But most of the people that um, go through this will be able to visualize and see that they are getting back into these into these negative patterns as opposed to being completely blinded by it. So it gives them that like leg up. And yeah, for the for the most part, um, even after years, even after I think the longest now is two years since there's there's guys that still come to me and just say that, you know, their life has been completely changed since. And not only not only mentally, but do they say sort of from a lifestyle standpoint, they, they've sort of changed some of their their lifestyle um, you know, whether they're eating, eating better or drinking less, you know, like how, how you said your lifestyle was a little bit, um, you know, not not the best um, before you went and then you came back and maybe some things in your, your lifestyle changed, not just mentally, but also maybe how you eat and how you exercise and, and how you do, how you add more healthy components to your life. Yeah, of course, it, it can transform many, many sides of it. It just be, it makes people tend to be more cautious, conscious of what affects them and what inputs they're putting into their body, whether it's food or whether it's even the people that are around them. You know, a lot mm. of people will sort of get rid of those people that are just drains, emotionally draining or toxic, and you don't really realize it and you just keep these relationships for whatever reason. A lot of people, you know, maintain really good diets, drink less uh, smoke less, drink less coffee. A lot of people, it, it helps them realize of finding better professions or better ways to spend their time. So they go into jobs that they actually like and that are actually fulfilling and find relationships. It just really, you know, with a lot of life aspects, it's if you are healthier, you attract healthier people sure. and you attract healthier sort of ways of life. And again, that's kind of the integration phase of it's easy to go back into eating like, you know, the cheeseburgers every day and all this other kind of stuff. And so we are trying to build the support network to where it's like, okay, you have this opportunity. Uh, ayahuasca almost levels a playing field, so to speak, or, or mixes things up in your brain to where you have this unique opportunity to, to start these positive habits. But it's still on you to maintain those positive habits. And so especially like immediately coming afterwards, that's what the support is there for. Like, okay, what can you do in your life right now that will keep you on this healthy path? And so, you know, a lot of them will join yoga. A lot of them will have their wives hold them accountable for certain things. 
uh, they'll instantly apply for certain jobs and stuff. And so, you know, trying to keep them on that path so they don't fall back into old negative patterns. What is, uh, just to switch gear, I know this is, it's a tough, it's a tough subject matter to talk about sort of political affairs, right? And, but we talked about the VA a little bit and, and sort of the, the struggles that they have and, and not sorting be, innovative in their approach to certain things. Um, what has, ha, have you guys dealt with any sort of local politicians even, or, or some type of, of, of conversations with officials about, you know, trying something like this on a, on a test scale. And, and you sort of had data points, right. Where you can show, look, these, look, you can talk to the people that we have changed, right. Has there any, has there been any discussion like that at all? Uh, the politician side is difficult, but it is it is move it is opening up. So I mean, the first steps, which is what what are happening right now, are sort of gathering the evidence, gathering the the protocols, all that kind of stuff. So the organization Maps is doing they're in their their final stage trials for MDMA for PTSD. Mm-hmm. And it's been declared a breakthrough therapy. It's likely to be legal in less than two years for treating PTSD. And it's just had phenomenal results. So that, you know, is good evidence. Marijuana is making that same sort of headway with scientific research. You know, there's all sorts of conferences popping up. I was just at speaking at one in Arizona. And, you know, where 10 years ago, it might have been filled with people looking to score drugs or, right. you know, more of the hippie style. This, you know, this last year, it was filled with scientists, PhDs, researchers mm-hmm. from, you know, very prestigious universities. So, you know, you're getting the the researchers, you're getting the intelligence there. Again, similar to the VA, similar to most political systems, they tend to be the last movers, you know, like they tend to be the, the ones less likely to put their neck out there, right? Especially nowadays. And so you you really have to almost form this movement before they interact with it. And you're seeing a few politicians that are, are, are starting to say, uh, even especially this year uh, with the decriminalization decriminalization efforts in Denver and Oakland. There's yep. been a few politicians that have come out to promote these sort of things. Um, you know, first with marijuana, potential, some are saying with psychedelics, just because the evidence is becoming overwhelming. But that's sort of the more you understand of how the system is built, the more frustrating it is of because things like DMT, psilocybin, even marijuana are schedule one drugs. Right. It's just this weird catch 22 that it's been nearly impossible to over over overthrow those de- designations because it's one of those things schedule one substance means that it has no medicinal value and it's um, highly addictive right um, and so especially psychedelics they are not addictive there's no chemical catch and you know they they clearly seem to have some sort of therapeutic value uh, you can argue on the, the the addiction of marijuana but in terms of like an opioid addiction it's not the same right no, no. but in order to prove that you need to have studies like what they're doing with the FDA but because it's schedule one it's so restricted in how you can study it there's no money because the government prevents any university from funding it so it's just nearly impossible to get the research to prove that it's not under these categories. And so you're just in this weird sort of limbo and it's just very hard to support it. So, you know, that's what we're doing. We're working in countries where we can do it, gathering as much data as possible, and then slowly pushing, you know, this narrative of, hey, you know, these are the veterans you should be protecting. And this is something that is actually saving their lives. So where, where's the disconnect here? Why are we not allowed to pursue this? At least research it. That's an easy first step for anybody to agree on. You know, that's, we're not just 
throwing psychedelics into the streets for anybody to have. We're having scientists research it to see if this is a viable tool to save veteran lives. And it's showing to be that, but it's just been an extremely complicated, uh, money-intensive process. Uh, but, you know, it's we're getting there. There's there's cracks in the dam and, you know, we just got to keep pushing. And once once you get past that point, you know, I do think it'll be sort of a flood of research and and. You know, what they're saying is it's almost like a renaissance, a psychedelic renaissance that's mm-hmm. going to be coming up. Going back to to actually the retreats for donors, because um, it, it seems like is the structure set up where veterans don't necessarily have to pay anything, correct? It's This is completely donor funded by your organization and it takes them to the retreats. It covers flights and everything like that. Or does the veteran do the veterans have to, to pay for that? Yeah, so we work with the veterans. So there's there's different levels of their financial ability. Unfortunately, most of those that are struggling tend to be pretty limited financially. Right. But we have them at least try to cover their flight. Sometimes I'll like help them a little bit on that. But I found just through our program that if they have skin in the game, you know, especially on a flight, then they get much more out of the therapy as opposed to just being in this like situation where everything's given to them. It just it just doesn't produce as good of results. So we work with them to where they have skin in the game, but they're not going to be thousands of dollars in debt or not going to be having to sacrifice something else. Uh, but that you know that that does make it tricky. So we're we're trying to figure out different ways to pr- approach this. Just because the nonprofit space is very competitive, especially now with mm-hmm. anybody can do a Facebook fundraiser or GoFundMe. Right. Um, and as we get mo- more notoriety, uh, you know, when we're on podcasts like this, we'll get fifteen, twenty more veteran applicants, and maybe at most you know, a couple of donations what amounting less than a hundred dollars here or so it's it's just right. a it's a hard thing to sustain. So, you know, we're we're trying different things. One of the things we are actively developing right now, which should be ready to go uh by the end of the month, is starting an ambassador program. So with this ambassador program, we're trying to empower the vets to help finance themselves. So people who want to be part of the psychedelic movement or people who want to actually help veterans in one of the most effective ways there can join our ambassador program. Then, you know, we'll talk with them, we'll vet them, see how they want to help. And for those that want to directly help veterans, we will talk to these ambassadors, give them, you know, our heroic hearts information, our, our um, images, all this other kind of stuff, and almost like a... a a how-to guide of starting a fundraiser. So this ambassador will work with individual veterans and help them fundraise locally in their community. Um, And so we're hoping to start this community and and help people find ways to fund themselves. That way we can get through more of this waiting list. Um, You know, another thing we're trying to do is sort of these higher-end executive retreats where... Mm Mm-hmm. People who are sympathetic to veterans um, and who are also interested in this, like ayahuasca therapy or other psychedelic therapy, we work with some retreats that can offer a very intimate, very unique, one-of-a-kind experience. And so we put them through our program, but obviously tailored to more of the executive needs. And you know, sometimes we can have, if they want, you know, either rangers there or Navy SEALs there to be with them and you know, add that warrior aspect to it. And so, you know, we're, we're developing that kind of program too, for those that can, 
uh, afford a little bit more of an expensive retreat have almost this buy one support one you know so their mm. price of admission also supports of that on on the tail end so you know we're we're trying to we're all just in the space of what we're doing it being fringe and just nonprofit world in general you have to be creative and so we're just trying all sorts of different things to you know support as many vets as possible what has been the response from your inner circle you know your your family and your friends sort of you know before before you went on on this journey what what has been the response from them when you came you know right when you came back from that first retreat you probably started to talk about it right you kind of said you know look I, I went there to do this not to just backpack around south america yeah, exactly and uh, i mean the response which is exactly what i would tell people you know our job is not to be evangelists and say like oh everybody should do this everybody mm-hmm. you need to go to ayahuasca now blah, blah blah that's not the point you know it's not for everybody it's but the the best uh flyer for it is how you hold yourself afterwards and so you know my friends and family saw the changes in me they saw that i was making healthier life choices they saw these these profound things that i couldn't explain to them they just had to see how i was interacting with life you know if if i went to this and was saying all these great things, but went back into my old habits, people are going to be, you know, they're going to be suspicious and be like, okay, that's probably kind of a little bit BS. But because my life has transformed in such a, a powerful way, you know, it's, it's, it's driven a lot of them to try it themselves. You know, so my mom recently got back from, from her first retreat and she got a lot out of it too. Oh, wow. And, you know, just a lot of friends, they, they were skeptical at first, but they saw what, what changes I had. And, you know, one of the things we do is share the testimonials of other veterans we send. And that's really the thing that, that changes their mind. Cause I understand, you know, a lot of people are like me where we have these stigmas. We we've, we've lived these lives where it was always just, just say, no, all these drugs are bad. They're all the same, uh, especially with psychedelics. Everybody grew up with that friend of a friend that took too many psychedelics and turned into a glass of orange juice or the babysitter (laughs) on acid that put the baby in the microwave all these like urban legend kind of stuff. Um, and so it, it, it affects you. And yeah, especially speaking to a veteran, if they see another veteran going through the very similar sort of things that they're going through, and at the end of it, they say, "Hey, ayahuasca is really the only thing that helped me." Then that's that's the way to to make this change. That's the way to push this movement forward. What was that conversation like with your mom when you you first did she approach you, or, or you you asked her if if you know she would go on one of these things and what was her what was her experience like no i i, I didn't ask it's it's like i said I, I try not to push it on people sure you know it, it's i tell them if they want to know if they if they ask questions i tell them as straightforward as possible if they want like the scientific evidence i can provide that you know testimonials whatever uh whatever they want but i i try not to say like you need to do this because it has to be their own journey especially from a, a mental health therapeutic side it can't be because of somebody else wants them there they have to be at that point of like hey i need something to change i'm going to do this I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to get through it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she, you know, she's been very supportive of of what I've uh, what I've been doing, and just seeing a lot of the testimonials of guys I've sent, and just a lot of people coming back to me, and you know, being very thankful, and and all these other kind of stuff. She was with me, you know. I said um, I spoke at the psychedelic conference in Arizona, um, and so she went with me, helped me sell T-shirts and all this other kind of stuff, and she really saw there of the scientific community that was gathered around it. And and she was just really blown away by all these intelligent people that you wouldn't necessarily associate with 
the you know the, what you your conceptions of the psychedelic movement but all these researchers these scientists all there and all saying very similar stories and um just from her interaction there i think it really planted her own seed and you know she talked to somebody there that worked with a retreat in peru and it it increased her comfortability level because she trusted this person and so she actually just started the process on her own and you know i just got a call from her one day she's like hey i decided to go these are the dates can you help me with all the logistics and all this other kind of stuff and i was like yeah definitely i'll I'll, you know i'll do my best to set you up for success wow that's incredible what's the uh the, the one thing i wanted to ask before was for donors out there, maybe is it, what would the cost be? Is does everything go into um, taking vets on retreats, right? Like, so that does that hundred dollars or that thousand dollars or that fifteen hundred dollars? Does that then immediately go to somebody on the waiting list and, and they get to go? Or obviously, there's administrative cost. All the the nonprofit stuff can be very difficult because there's just a lot of different things you have to pay for, right? Just to even keep a website up and, and things like that. So, how, how from a donor perspective? What is the cost like if a donor wants to say, you know, this is some powerful stuff. I want to send a vet. Like, what would that um, cost be? Yeah, I mean, the 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 vast majority. I, I just hesitate to say a hundred percent, but it's going to be sure. near a hundred percent goes directly towards supporting the vet to get there. Uh, the the majority of like logistic costs and stuff come out of my own pocket. And even you know, if if there's a little bit of extra money that needs, I'll try to supplement that as best as I can. Uh, but if somebody donates a hundred dollars. Uh, you know, once we gather enough money, all that money goes either in terms of paying for their treat, paying for the integration coaching, or, you know, the in-between costs, but it's all going towards that veteran to get him to the retreat in, you know, a safe, responsible way. So, you know, we have all volunteer staff. So anybody who donates can be assured that it's going directly as direct as possible to helping this veteran get the therapy that he deserves. In terms of, you know, the donations, we we try to be as flexible as possible. Uh, Sometimes people want to directly fund a specific um, military vet. And so Mm -hmm. we set them up and we can Mm -hmm. do sort of this anonymous two-way conversation, which we're doing right now. There's a donate side uh donate spot on our website you know you can give like direct amounts we have a patreon so even if you want Mm -hmm. to do you know like five dollars a month um that's very helpful and you know the patreon is just heroic hearts project like i said for the bigger sort of donator donors possible we have these executive retreats where they can sign up for that if they want their own very intimate experience and a lot of that money just goes directly so you know we're, we're willing to work with people if they want to help we can find a way find for a way, them to yeah. help, even, <laughs> yeah, if, sure. even if it's not necessarily money. You know, money is tends to be the most helpful because it's the most direct way. But you know, there's a lot of, like I said, with this ambassador program, there's a lot of other ways to help as well. You mentioned a uh, a call earlier where you kind of get on a call with with some vets. Is that sort of something that other people can join um, if they want to hear a little bit more of a perspective from? from a veteran side about what what they're facing or is that just for people who have went on the retreats and for veterans who want to, you know, join the waiting list? Is that just for them or can other people kind of join in on that? If if other people are interested, then they can email me. They just go to the the website's heroicheartsproject.org. And then there's the spots, you know, like a contact spot, like a form. And they can just email us directly through there. And if they say, hey, I'd like to talk with another vet or I'd like to kind of see, you know, how these vets are interacting, then we'll work with them. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how we can help them out in that way. 
mostly on the videos, it's it's a, it's a lot just alum people who had just gone through it because a lot of what they're talking about is uh, their own integration process and all this other kind of stuff of how to get back into life and then problems or successes. And so you don't want people. There, there's ways that we have them interact with people who haven't gone, but you don't want to mix people who haven't gone all the time with with this other sure, other sort sure. of class because like i said it's a very unique individual journey and so you don't want people's expectations to be formed about right. what they should expect because you know some people have very uh, a lot of imagery some people have you know very hard physically uh, aspects some people have religious uh, experiences, but it's it's a very unique to the individual experience, and so you don't want somebody to be like, oh, hey, that sounds awesome, I want that, and then if they don't get that, they're disappointed or you know they feel like it's not working. So I mean, we we have that option. Uh, it's just we have to coordinate with the person. But you know, any anytime people reach out to us through the website, we it's it's hard because we we have limited staff, but we we eventually get respond to everybody and try to help them up as much help them as much as possible. You know, a, a cop recently reached out, and so we don't we don't work with cops at this moment because we have so many vets that that need our help. But you know, I'm I was willing to set up some calls with him and make sure that he's ready to go on his own journey, even if I couldn't necessarily financially support him. No, I think that's a that's a great point because I think it's a it's another aspect of our society where they they deal with a lot of different you know aspects and you turn often turn to turn to drinking right and and a lot of these different negative lifestyle aspects they they sort of endure and i think it's that's a beautiful thing because i, I mean that's i have close people in my life that are cops and and you know they tell me a lot of the stories that they go through and the experience and it's just like you know it'd be just like a random wednesday right and they've gone through like this life altering thing that nobody knows about right and it's it, it has to weigh on you. It, it can't not, right? You know, so if you're in that sort of lifestyle every single day, it, there, there's just, there's no way it cannot affect you. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I hope that you guys continue to grow and, and you can incorporate some of these different things into to other members of society who, who are dealing with the same things. The last thing I, I, I want, we can leave on this is, you know, in, in five to, to 10 years, um, I, I know it's hard to, to forecast that and and look down the road that long. But what do you what do you see the vision, you know, for the nonprofit and and, and for veterans that 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 take this this journey with you guys? What do you want to accomplish over the next decade or so? And how would you like to see uh, the world communicate with with ayahuasca community or, or just the psychedelic community in the form that it is therapy, right? And it's not something to get high off of, right? And and, and kind of had this traditional mindset of what we think they are, but take a different look at it and, and see that it can be instrumental in, in somebody changing their life. So, so what does the next 10 years, uh, what do you hope them to look like? Yeah, of course. I mean, so in the, the immediate sort of shorter term side of that, you know, what we're really trying to do is reestablish this community. Like I said, a lot of events mm -hmm. leave this strong brotherhood and become isolated. And so, you know, we're trying to not only reestablish these veteran communities under almost a psychedelic healing banner of different perspectives of how to view the world, but also get the rest of society involved in this, you know, local businesses supporting them, other people that wouldn't necessarily associate themselves with veterans, reestablish these tight knit communities, because that's a lot of what we lost with this age of social media, these self supporting local networks. 
Um, and you know, that's really how heroic parts is, is designed. We're not going to be able to send every single vet that we want because we don't have the money, but we can be a very strong voice, a veteran voice pushing for this. We can be that activist, almost grassroots of demanding that politicians be held accountable for when they say they support vets, but are actually not doing that and demanding more research. And so that's, we're trying to be this unifying voice for veterans, and hopefully if we do and we establish ourselves with credibility in that world, then we can start making other demands of questioning the VA of why doesn't the, mm-hmm. the veteran affairs represent the veteran voice? Why isn't it the organization that is actively fighting for veterans and being the one that is discovering these new treatments? Why isn't it being why isn't it being exhausted in, in this research? Why is it always a laggard? Uh, I mean, down the line in terms of psychedelics, we want to pursue this in a, a responsible way. So not only develop these therapy protocols, but be conscious of, you know, sustainability. You know, we don't want to just go into the Amazon and, and right. destroy it looking for the stuff. So we work with retreats that have sustainability pro- projects and grow their own. So it's, it's, it's feasible for the long term, but also respect indigenous and the traditional mm-hmm. ceremonial kind of stuff. That's another thing we've, we've lost in Western society of these strong ceremonies of whether healing or community ceremonies um, and, and, allowing that to to intermix with our western therapy you know there's a it's a very powerful combination and it really speaks to veterans of having these indigenous ceremonies without you know without going too much into you know we're not trying to indoctrinate anybody but you know i think people really appreciate these sort of old style vision quests or or whatever so really respect that and protect you know, these ancient cultures and beliefs and doing that and where people can make money, but it's not destroying the local culture and it's not exploiting any anything. So that's going to be a very hard path to go forward as, as this becomes more popular. And then on the psychedelic front is kind of what we were talking about earlier. Each of these psychedelics are unique. They have their own feeling. They, they react to certain people differently. They react to certain trauma differently. So really having this understanding to where we can develop better protocols for the individual. You know, maybe right. ayahuasca isn't the best thing for them ever, right. or maybe it's just not the best thing for them to start off with. So maybe, you know, have a person, whether it's MDMA therapy or, or get them acquainted with mushrooms rooms to where they can get to the next step and and have this interconnectedness and start getting an idea of what they need and then maybe move on to something more powerful later in their life like ayahuasca that really hits hard at certain traumas um and then you know as as we learn more about the different cannabinoids that can help them maintain uh the lower anxiety if there's still any remaining or help any remaining sleep problems you know there's there's all sorts of right. things at our disposal that we just just because of our lack of understanding aren't utilizing and so I think that will be a beautiful thing when we are able to form clinics and able to integrate these things to really help people. Yeah, the, the data is so important because that enables everybody involved to give the right doses of, of the right psychedelic to that specific individual, right? Because we're so unique in our DNA and all our chemicals. It's like you said, I mean, one thing is going to react differently to pretty much everybody, right? In some different way. So getting the, that's why their research obviously is so important because it's getting those data sets correct. So when somebody, you know, walks through that door, you're enabled to subscribe, subscribe them something that is, that is unique to them. And, and that in, enables the correct amount of, of doshas with the correct amount of medicine. So wait, they have the best experience and, you know, it's, it's something that is, 
is research and it's <laughs> it's ethically done, right? And it's not just one chemical that's given to a broad amount of people like sort of medicine is done now. So I think, I, I mean, I hope everything you said is is amazing, right? Like that is the the utopian idea that that I hope to see as well. And I just hope we can get more of our politicians involved, more funding involved, more research involved, more colleges involved, more everybody involved, because the crisis of depression and and PTSD is is one that is enormous and it affects all of our lives, whether we have it directly or indirectly. We know somebody or someone who is affected by um, a variety of different things, and they're just they're t- taking medicine that might not be the best for them, and most likely isn't the best for them, and has more negative effects than positive effects. So you know, mental health and depression, it, it's it's such there's such a need for innovation in that area that. This this is why I think the revolution is upon us, so to speak, right? Of these these sort of innovative medicines, and they're not even innovative, right? They're stuff that the Earth has given us for thousands of years, if not hundreds of thousands of years, right? Yeah, every, so I mean, every it, indigenous culture has used some sort of psychedelic. It's it's part. It's just there's always this lack of control. And, you know, more just a little bit more on what you're saying is, you know, this is not just a veteran issue. I believe that, you know, the veteran voice is one of the strongest ways that we can force politicians yep. to change and open their eyes. I feel like it's just a bit, especially in the U.S., people trust and respect veterans. And so I think they are a good group to push this forward. But I do think that they're also almost a canary in a coal mine. You know, a lot of the issues they've been struggling with for the past couple of decades, it's only getting worse in the society at large. Uh, depression is the leading cause of disability in the world. Uh, yep. There's just a news article of you know general suicide across you know civilians it increasing and just getting worse and worse because of you know this new age that we don't know how to deal with. And veterans have been dealing this with this for a while because they come from a much more extreme lifestyle. But it's going to affect everybody, and we we drastically need changes in the way we approach mental health. And we have these substances that are showing to be far more beneficial and far more toxic than anything else. It's just our fear and our the stories we've been told by people trying to control certain substances and, you know, probably pharmaceuticals as well to keep us on these pills. We yep. need to get it past this and we need to open our minds that maybe this is not just, you know, what we thought of you know, this hippie kind of escaping, maybe there is something more to it. And what do we have to be afraid of it? Well, I appreciate it so much, man. Thank you for taking the time. I hope everybody gets a chance to to listen to this and listen to the journey of you and all the veterans that, that you're affecting and impacting. And, and I just hope that, that this, this, this sort of dynamic of, of psychedelics and, and plant medicine really, really start to get um, the attention it deserves um, because it, it can be um, life altering to a lot of people dealing with some really horrific trauma. And even just like, like you said, just just normal sort of depression and anxiety and, and hopelessness and lack of purpose, right? It, there's, there's all these different dynamics that can that can go into to a person to a human being, right? That that makes them feel a certain way. And I mean, you're the perfect example, right? I mean, I think you've kind of lived both lives of an army ranger and also the corporate life, right? Nine to five sort of job, right? And you can kind of, you can kind of be a voice for, for a lot of people out there that, that sort of dealt with that, that same path in their life. Um, so kudos to you, man. I, I'm so, so amazed by what you guys are doing and, and I hope it continues to, to have a positive impact. Hey, Grant, I really appreciate you giving us a platform and, a, you know, very nice speaking with you today.